G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast Summer Edition. I'm Rowan Connolly and uh, Mark Fine with me as per usual and uh, big news here at Footyology, Fine, he's always playing around with his phone but I can't help but notice, Mark, that you're playing with a new phone. Yes, now you say I'm playing with the phone and you know what? What? You're right. Now, the... But also getting information off it. I use it as a computer, as many do. And my contract was up, had a crack in one. So I'm up to iPhone 11. I think I've caught up. Well, I think that's roughly where we're at. That's good. Perhaps you can start using it like normal people use phones. I don't. Yeah. In fact, normal people have their home screen and their lock screen. Mm. Typically family members or a pet dog or something. Yep. Mine... <laughs> In fact, my, Natalie, my wife said to me, "Who's that on the? Who's that on your phone? We don't know him. No, Natalie, you don't personally know Victor Trumper. He passed away long before you were gone. I've got a beautiful Victor Trumper and a Jeff Thompson portrait. That's good to know. You just made me realise I've actually got nothing on mine, and uh, that shall be dealt with forthwith. Are you going to get my runner-up, uh, Fred Spofforth, or mm. or Blackie, the Prince of Wicked Keepers?" Blackham. I might go for WG Grace. Traitor. All right, we've got a lot to uh, get through today, but uh, as usual, finally, we cannot even start this show without mentioning our wonderful sponsors. Burgers are not dime a dozen. In fact, there are very few burger places that predate, in Australia, that predate the wonderful Andrews, and I'm just talking about longevity. And you don't last a long time in the food industry unless you're very, very good. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, Andrew's Hamburgers are in their 81st year. And that says it all. That and the hundreds of ratings that have had them at the top of the tree over that period. Andrew's Hamburgers, a favourite here at Footyology. Just let me list the uh, classic ingredients quickly again. The uh, tender but firm buns, the foundation of any self-respecting hamburger. And not a bad thing for a parent as well. The uh, juicy meat patty, the lettuce and tomato, fresh out of the garden, just with the the water just dripping off it. That's right, the glisten. The glisten, yes. Uh, no, no artificial glistening agents used. They glisten naturally. No V two three nine four seven artificial glistening is used by many of the fast food chains. All right, I'm I'm starting to salivate now. So uh, that, you're that's, glistening. That's where you go. The best burger in town, one forty four Bridport Street, Albert Park, Andrews Hamburgers, and finally, where do you go for the best houses in town? <laughs> you don't need to go far from Bridport Street, Albert Park, in that very region is the very fine work of West Point Properties, uh, principled by Nick Spartels and very popular amongst the elite, the glitterati of Australian rules football. Scott Pendlebury's home, Dyson Heppel's home, Mark Sheehan's home, and maybe yours, your extension. You love football, you love footyology, then you'll love the work of Nick Spartels at West Point Properties. Take a trip down to Albert Park, get yourself a burger and get yourself a house, Renault. 
Not usually the combination you'd go with, but I reckon it works. And you can get one with the lot on both. And our brand new sponsor uh, coming in for a third week now and uh, kicking some goals we are finding with these fantastic deals from Grays Online, retail and auction company, who offer a huge range of consumer and industrial goods direct from manufacturers and... Great news, Finey. Their amazing offer for Footyology listeners has been extended. Those special voucher codes you can use to get $30 off any purchase of more than $50 have been extended to the end of March. So jump on Grays Online's website, check it out, find something you want, enter the voucher codes, either ROCO, R-O-C-O, or Finey, F-I-N-E-Y, to claim all sorts of fantastic offers from Grays Online. Finey, there's a huge range of stuff from $2 bottles of wine to $2 million cranes, everything in between, TVs, homewares, white goods, power tools, nearly every auction starting at just $9. Jump on, have a look, and those special voucher codes for Footyology listeners, $30 off, any purchase of more than $50. And I do need to make this clear because a stupid woman who lives at the same address as mine was very interested in taking advantage of the wine offer. Mm. And I told her over the phone, Grays Online, and went home that night and said, how did you go? And she said, I couldn't find it. It's G-R-A-Y apostrophe S. Not as the stupid woman put into her search engine, G-R-A-Z-E. Grays Online. Uh, actually, no apostrophe. No, sorry, no apostrophe, but certainly no G R A Z E. Grays Online, a terrific offer from them. We're very thankful to Grays Online for their support, as Footyology listeners will be when they jump online and check out all their amazing offers. Okay, heap to get through, heaps of footy now. We're only two and a half weeks away from the start of the season proper. Let's talk footy. On Footyology Newsfeed. All right, well, the premiership season hasn't started, but footy, footy, footy. I was surrounded by footy over the weekend, finally, of course. Uh, Well, it actually kicked off on Thursday night with another Marsh Series game, West Coast and Essendon. We'll talk about that, but we probably should start by talking about the special bushfire appeal game at Marvel Stadium between Victoria and the All-Stars. You went along. I watched from the home office. Uh, How'd you find it? Great. Because I went with my youngest daughter, Harper, who was really keen to go the minute they announced it, and I'm glad I bought tickets early. It was a sellout. Yeah, it was. 51,000 plus. So, obviously, first and foremost, it was a successful uh, injection of funds into the bushfire appeal by the AFL. Do you know what they ended up raising? I don't. And I th- probably should have I th- Well, I think it's ongoing because there's auction items still to be closed, uh, big money garnered for them, I'm sure, and... It was great to see how many young people were there, giving me a sense that there is an appetite for that form of football amongst younger football fans, because that really was a dominant aspect of the crowd, was the youth in the crowd, all wearing their different AFL jumpers. Great fun. Uh, Again, the stupid woman who lives at the same address as I do, and, well, look, she's... Uh, she was stupid this time. Have a guess who we were sitting behind, uh, who was sitting behind us at the footy? Uh, Victor Trumper? No. Nobody. She actually intentionally, I don't know why I bought tickets in row X of level three. I have never sat so high at the football in my life. So I got a great overview of state football Mm -hmm. from on high. And it was, I guess it gave you a bit of an insight into it. Look, the game was played properly. 
It was not a... Each contest was taken seriously by the players. The reason it was a high-scoring game is because there was no defensive tactics used, no slowing down of the play, no boundary as a refuse. A refuge, either, by the way, is correct. I think there were only four throw-ins halfway through the last quarter, and none of this kicking the ball back and forwards. But actually, contest by contest, the players took it very seriously. Uh, I'd say to a point. Um, Not I... recklessly, but they it was practice match type intensity. Yeah, well, I, I've sort of changed my mind on this. I mean, I, I would have said no, no place for State of Origin. It's, it's an anachronism that's done it. I've sort of changed because I did enjoy the game. It was a great exhibition of skill. I think the key is we have to accept that for what it is, that the players aren't going to be um, trying to hurt each other and, and uh, there probably aren't going to be that many injuries and it's going to be a real premium on skill rather than necessarily intensity. And that's fine because I enjoyed, you know, look, we, we see so many games where the skills get downgraded because of that intensity or because of the tactics. And of course... So it's a purer game. And of course, because we have become... and. Uh, certainly younger football fans only know football with the talent divided amongst 18 teams. Yeah. It's extraordinary. It was just extraordinary when Bontempelli got the ball and he got it to Dangerfield and you're thinking, wow, how good's this? And then it's on to Toby Green with Duster. It's each, play in the, in, each player in the link is a superstar going both ways. And that made for some ma- magnificent b- b- uh, ball movement and also real... For me, a real lack of some of the stuff that grinds the game down, which is players that don't have that skill do need to bring the ball to a dead stop. Just on the crowd too, and I think it's the... I talked last week about going to that Victoria All-Stars game in 2008 and you had a crowd of 70-odd thousand doing the Mexican wave. Well, it happened again. So I think that's a reflection of, you know, there's not the emotional investment in it, but again, that's fine. Uh, didn't like the all-star uniforms, and Taylor Walker in particular with his long white socks pulled up looked like he should have been at the Gold Coast RSL club or something. I thought <laughs> it was a bit weird. As much as it was a strange-looking top, they were snapped up. You know, all Victorian, I'm not talking about limited edition ones, or they probably are limited, but I'm not talking about player-signed ones. Every single all-star top and Victorian top was made available through various outlets, sold out. Mm. So, popular amongst the fans. Yeah, look, there was the Mexican wave in the third quarter, which I banned, which I always do with the Mexican wave. I tell everybody around me not to do it. I ban it, and when it stops, about 30 seconds later, I just get up and do my own one. Oh, lovely. But there was the Mexican wave. That was an indication of um, passion at arm's length. I'll tell you this, though. When Vicks were 30 points down during the third quarter and stormed to the lead in the last, the crowd liked it. The crowd got behind them. What was the turnaround? It was about 10 goals 71 points. <laughs> what What happened? To, I, I did tweet, perhaps facetiously, there was going to be some serious questions asked in the All-Star camp and uh, they could expect the media blowtorch uh, for the duration until the next game in about four years or whatever, <laughs> whenever it is. Well, let's hope. If it's for a bushfire appeal, never. The interesting, did you hear what happened before the game? And I reckon that's why Victoria ran over the top of them. No. 
Damien Hardwick took it pretty seriously. Oh, the letters. Yeah, the, the letters. So yeah. for people who don't know, you can explain, but past legends? Well, he got past uh, great players for Victoria. Bob Skilton was one of them, uh, writing letters to each of the Victorian players to instil in them uh, the significance of the occasion. And um, I've got to say, look, interview. I, I watched Roaming Brian. Don't know why, but I did. Um, and uh, you could see that the players were wrapped to be you know, representing or playing alongside guys, stars from other clubs who normally they wouldn't get the chance to do. And, and that was for both teams. But I think at three-quarter time when the scores were pretty level, Damien Hardwick, and he was taking it seriously, could call on the fact that there's a Victorian legacy here. Yeah. You got those letters. And I don't know what the future for state football is, but we're not going to be the poster boy for the last team that got beaten. Whereas All-Stars can't call on anything emotional. They're just very good players. Although, I was going to say, did you? I don't know if you saw this, but there was a, and not making light of it because it was pretty ugly, there was a uh, a fight after the game outside the stadium, which I think Channel a 7. fight? Yeah. But the Channel 7 news report, or in the tweet of it certainly, and I think in the news report themselves, they dress it up as rival fans. No, that, <laughs> no that's but, not true, but... Hang on, wait, let me finish the yeah. story. Yeah, yeah. Or rival fans. Like, were there all-star fans? <laughs> there was. There were plenty of kids wearing interstate jumpers, but there was no passion either way. But what there was were a lot of kids. And actually, sort of, after the game, there were. it was a bit uncomfy. We caught public transport, and they sort of, you know, groups of 10, 12 young adolescents might have got yeah, you know, might have been a couple of eighteen-year-olds amongst them, if you know what I mean. Well, this was on video. They looked uh, considerably older than their okay. teens. I've got to say. All right. Well, there was it was getting on to a warmish night, maybe. Anyhow, there was a bit of beer consumed in the crowd, is what I'm saying. All right. Well, that was the bushfire relief game. Time now to talk AFLW, and I've got to say, just before we start, I reckon this was close to in the home and away rounds. Anyway, the peak. Weekend of AFLW footy. Um, just the standard. It, it just keeps going up and up. And I thought there were some cracking games on the weekend. Quick look at the two conference ladders. Um, very tight in both of them, really. Only one undefeated side of the 14. And poor, lucky Gee, to remain undefeated. To... And that is Fremantle. Four wins from four. Oh, dear. Top of Conference A, Brisbane three wins from four and North Melbourne three wins from four and Adelaide and GWS both two wins from four. Um, so finals will come from that, that group. And Conference B, the Dockers undefeated, Melbourne and Carlton three wins from four, Collingwood two from four, probably scratched the rest. Um, but some terrific games, Finey, and a couple that caught my eye. Of course, Collingwood-Melbourne was played on Friday night as a curtain raiser to the bushfire game. But Richmond-Geelong, I mean, Geelong is a side that, um, you know, is a, they're low on the ladder, but they're, I think they're better than their form has indicated. But Richmond has been really struggling. Well, the Tigers lost again, but they gave it a serious crack after conceding the Cats uh, or a four-goal lead at half time. Um, they came out supercharged in the second half for Tigers. In the end, lost by 22 points, 7-3 to 10-7. But for a women's game, they are pretty high scores, and there was a real intensity about it. Uh, played up in Bendigo, and uh, I thought it was a cracking game. I'm convinced, and this includes Richmond, that any team can beat any team. And maybe Richmond are a little bit off the pace. But 
the other new. I thought Gold Coast was fantastic against North actually, and that that is probably I would say North to me. If you had to ask me, who do I think will win the flag? I think North had a lot of firepower, a lot of very good players. So Gold Coast were very good. Well, yeah, North were really good last season as well, and unlucky not to to be in the uh, either of the preliminary finals. I was going to say the the next cracking game was at Arden Street, and it came directly after the Richmond Geelong one. North thirteen point victors in the end over Gold Coast six eleven forty seven to five four thirty four. But in doubt that game until literally the last minute, and um, I, I think in in the cause of furthering football on the Gold Coast, what their women's team have done in their first season, even though they've only won the one game, um, I think it's been a real plus for them. And and they gave it an absolute red-hot crack. And it was uh, at Arden Street too, which gave it an extra bit of zing, 3,280 turning out for that game. Um, You're right, it was a terrific game. And that was then followed by the last game on Saturday, which was uh, West Coast and Bulldogs. And West Coast winning their first game by just four points over the Bulldogs, 4-6 to 3-8. I've got to say, the most bizarre goal I've ever seen kicked in my life in that game, and I'm desperately trying to remember who kicked it, and I thought I took the note and I didn't, but there was a um, a ball kicked into the uh, West Coast goal square, a bit of a scramble, and a couple of girls at the back of the pack and trying to get the crumbs, and one of them fell, and as she fell, she accidentally backheeled the ball through. Did you see the goal? Yeah, yeah I did. It was, it was a dead set accidental it, goal. Complete. So accidental that she was not the initial great celebrator. Yeah. But I'll tell you something about AFLW. I was very. I was upset at the weekend and delighted. Because I think we follow football in our bones. And I say that. It's funny, you know, people would ask other fans when their team's not playing in AFL. For example, when Essendon play Carlton, uh, somebody will say, who are you going for? And I might say, you know, oh, Carlton. I don't know. But when the game starts, something inside me makes me barrack for one of those teams. Mm. It's like every Anzac Day game, I don't know, I don't know, I do know. I always want Essendon to win because deep in my bones – I have that anti-Collingwood thing just pressing a bit harder. Mm-hmm. Well, St Kilda's lost to Fremantle. Look, I've and it's not lip service. I really was looking forward to St Kilda being in it, and I've seen every minute of them playing. If not live, then on TV. Did do I really care about it as much as the men? I might have been saying the right things. Can I tell you how upset I was after that game? Mm. Tani White doing her AC well ACL. McCarthy going down, losing a game that I was sure we were going to win. And my reactions have been the same as men's football, in that I refuse to watch the replay. I hate watching replays when we lose. And there's something in the back of my mind for the next 24 hours that uh, something bad happened yesterday. It's not at the forefront. But it's that loss, and it's just how I feel when the guys lose. Well, really uh, dramatic finish that game, if you didn't see it. Fremantle getting up by uh, 1.36-3.5. This happening after the Saints appeared to have the game won. And uh, the pivotal moment with, uh, and I did write this one down, with 1 minute 40 left on the clock. Um, St Kilda were going forward. The ball went out on the full and uh, poor old Maddie McDonald, who'd been pretty good and kicked the goal to give him a bit of breathing space, rather than hand the ball back to her opponent, she put it down on the ground after marking the ball over the line 
automatic 50 murder penalty. It's so harsh, though, isn't it? That leveled the scores. And then uh, Fremantle mounted an attack, and uh, I think it was Houghton uh, hit the post with uh, about 50 seconds left, and they hung on and won by a point. Yeah, well, I wanted to ask you about that because I, I tweeted, look, it's a silly mistake, and a few people were saying, bad decision. Well, it wasn't a bad decision. Those it's the, things it's are the, black. It's a correct decision. But it, perhaps there's an argument that in the women's game, 50-metre penalties are too severe. There has definitely been a number of 50-metre penalties where the intention of the girls was not to delay time or to remonstrate with the umpire or to be petulant. It's that they, maybe from sports played previously, felt that placing the ball on the ground or passing it to a teammate to throw back, as an Irish girl did on the weekend, was totally acceptable. You know whose responsibility it is? It's not the umpires. And if the players don't know, it falls to the coaches. The coaches, the coaches, the coaches. I'm not blaming Peter Searle, but across the board... Now you can see you can lose a game from it. Yeah, and no, I think there's some argument for reducing that penalty. The the other um, result of particular note was Carlton reversing last year's grand final loss to Adelaide at uh, what's now called High Sense Stadium, but is Richmond Oval where West Adelaide plays. Seven over seven thousand people at that game, and the Blues played it brilliantly um, down at quarter time, down at half time, but a, a stronger. Second half, tactically, they played it particularly well. Taylor Harris uh, kicked a couple, probably could have kicked four or five, and they ended up winning by eight points, five, six, 36 to four, four, 28. Um, uh, Maddie Prasparkas, uh, she's a terrific player for the Blues. She was great. Darcy Vessio kicked uh, the only goal of the last quarter to um, stretch out that lead and give him a bit of breathing space. And a great result for them under Daniel Harford. They're looking pretty good. Can I bring up very quickly the three elephants in the room for women's football and get your take on them? Very quick elephants, yes. Okay. Another ACL, probably two on the weekend, I believe. There were two. Um, There was another girl from another club. That brings to the number, after four rounds in pre-season, 11 ACLs. There's no question physiologically girls are different to boys. What can be done, if anything? Well, they are investigating it. And in fact, to that end, and if there's any tittering from anyone either in this room or elsewhere, I'll uh, get annoyed. But they are investigating uh, the potential links to risk of ACL and uh, women's menstrual cycle because there um, there are times during... The 28-day cycle when their tissues are more prone, I think, more prone to be damaged. Um, and, yeah, Lauren Wood in the Herald Sun wrote a piece about this and copped the usual crap. But it's actually uh, that danger time is at ovulation, I think, which is about halfway through the cycle. And, no, it's not when a girl has her period. Uh, but they're investigating a lot of links like that. So, um, yeah, look, it's definitely a concern, I think. Number two, the length of the season, we know that the players have rallied hard for a longer season, more similar to an AFL season. Four games in, it's been exciting, close, and as I said, anybody can beat anybody from where I sit. Is the season long enough? Uh, No, probably not, but I I understand why they're sort of hastening slowly. But, I mean, look, your ideal scenario down the track, I think, is having the women playing the same season as the men and playing the games as curtain raisers. I reckon it'd be fantastic. Well, to that end, that might knock this question on the head, but 
I don't think it'll be exclusively a curtain raiser game. Will it always be a free ticket entry game? Or are we going to get to the point where this is a, not self-funding, but a gated, with a price at the gate, a more commercially realistic venture? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, shouldn't say venture, it's not a venture, more know, cur- league. Yeah, no, no, no question in my mind. I mean, we're, How many fans will that cost them through the gate? Not many. Okay. No, I really don't think so. I think if you... I think it'll cost them a lot. Yeah, I don't. I think if you're interested enough to go, you're going to be prepared to fork over some money rather than just turn up. I see a lot free. of I see a lot of families go. It's very expensive to take the family anywhere. What a great thing on the weekend to have a family outing at the footy, top quality women's footy for for Nada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll give it. I mean, we're in season four. No, I'm That's not a, saying it's a bad thing. I'm, yeah, you know what? I no, think, no, I'm not saying you are, but I'm just saying. For, I actually believe football can fund it and. People say, well, then they shouldn't be getting paid. No, that's not true. This is bringing revenue in through so many other ways. Big sponsors that can be tapped into for both AFL and AFLW, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't think it needs a ticket price as yet and, and for the foreseeable future. Yeah, no, well, I understand that argument. And, All if, right. and if it's a curtain raiser, it effectively is non-ticketed because you're paying the same price to get in. Let's talk Marsh series. There were four more games, uh, not just over the weekend. The first was on Thursday night in Perth where my Bombers, got to say, Fanny, I was pleasantly surprised. Wasn't expecting much at all, but uh, I thought they played a pretty solid game. Um, Eight-point winners in the end over West Coast, 14-11-95 to 13-9-87. Josh Kennedy, powerful presence up forward for the Eagles with six goals. Uh, Waterman quite impressive with three. Um, probably usual suspects for them. They'd be pretty pleased with Nat Nui's game, I think, given where he's coming back from. For the Bombers, Andy McGrath, who's going to play a lot more midfield time, really impressive. Um, f- from an Essendon perspective, I've, I think I've got to say this, this. The jury is still out on quite a, a few of their midfielders, but in terms of midfield numbers, they have more now than I can remember for a long, long time. And to that end, three guys I thought were really impressive. Um, one was uh, Langford, who, you know, I, I do love Kyle, but uh, he's frustrating at times. But he just looked like a bloke who's ready to take the bit between the teeth. Will Snelling, you know, sort of uh, the mid-season draft of last year. Um, I think he's really added something to them. He's, a, he's Tiger-ish, gets plenty of the ball. Thought he was impressive. And the other one, young Braden Ham, number 33. I thought he played a terrific game. Certainly a ball magnet. So they've got some midfield options, and I think uh, pretty happy about that. And, of course, Irving Mosquito. Well, it's a name you never thought you'd see in football, isn't it? Well, it's, it's, I still think Not Mosquito, should... Irving. Oh, no, very good. Oh, Irving. Dean Irving. Yes. <laughs> That's a first name, though. It's such a New York um, pastrami belt name. It is. I still think Mosquito needs to team up with Wiley Buzzer. But um, <laughs> Interestingly, and I think I might have mentioned it to you, but he's sort of in my daughter's circle of friends. One, yes. One of my daughter's friends goes out with him. He's a great story beyond the football field, but know this, Essendon fans, he didn't play last year in the AFL team for a reason. He was concentrating on studies, mm. and they've been particularly Essendon being great. They've been particularly conscious of what he gets by being down in Victoria. So this kid, this guy, is going to be an AFL footballer with some with some class and play many, many, many games for Essendon. I think you've got a bit of a star in the future. Well, he's, he's got pace. He went for a, a, a run ripper. along the wing that was great and kicked a really good goal. He's, he's a ripper. Interesting body shape too. He's quite yeah. chunkily. Chunkily? Yeah, yeah. 
um, built. Well, like Mac Tip and yeah. Uh, well, uh, imagine uh, either of them in a forward pocket. Jeez, it's uh, yeah. No, How about look, both of them. And, yeah. and, and it could work. No, that's what I meant. Sorry, that's that's what I meant. Um, all right, uh, this just, guy- on, just on West Coast, very very quickly. They played that game at a different sort of intensity, I admit, but that's a very flattering scoreline. They they scored late against Essendon. Um, they, oh, I don't know. I, I get a feeling with the West Coast Eagles that almost like Hawthorne, I like to see their best 22. I think that can win a flag. I'm not certain about their next rung of players. I'm not certain at all. Uh, no, I think they're right. I think Do you think they've got depth? Oh, more than we give them credit for. I think there's a bit of an East Coast thing going on there. There We're was a, there was familiar a, with them. There was a new Ruckman. Now, there was a guy who wasn't Hickey and who teamed up with Nat Nui. I watched him play. I've got to check his name. I've, I've got to admit, I didn't pick up his name. That would help. He looked quite good. Uh, I'll check him out. Okay. Um, GWS taking on Sydney, and uh, this certainly wasn't a contest. And, um, yeah, fairly... Down, uh, downbeat expectations on Sydney this year, and you'd come away from this game, and despite the absentees from either side, think, ooh, one, one of these sides is going to be pretty good and the other one isn't. Final scores, GWS 19-7-121, defeated Sydney 3-9-27. Well, I think this was a pretty telling game. Now, I know that both teams had players out, particularly GWS, who had the seven players who played in the bushfire relief game not playing. They have got some other guys that we are not au fait with yet, but you've got to realise they were pretty high draft picks or well well regarded. Isaac Cumming can play football. He would have played much more football at another club already. How about Haightley? Yeah, Haightley's good. Now, on the other hand, Sydney do not have that well, sort on, of player. Wait, one more because he was a he was their first draft pick, Tom Green. Tom Sorry. The grandson of former Richmond Premiership player Michael, Michael Green. Uh, Very impressive. Yeah, they, There's going to be uh, – you'll hear this a lot. That was Green with the E or without an E. Yeah. Because he and Toby are going to play a lot of football together. Zach Langdon, five goals too. And they missed him last year, didn't they, mm. through injury? Yep. DeBoer was captain. Hasn't he – you would have thought he, after Fremantle going to GWS, was a maybe if few guys got injured possible – Sometime occasional. No, he's not. Mm. Important player at that club. Now, hard to think they probably they haven't got the best depth in the competition after seeing a performance like that. And Sam Jacobs, he's a very nice pickup. Yeah, that, that just Monford's going to have one more year, but I think Jacobs will be their main ruckman. So should Sydney um, be start being even more worried? Do you think yeah. after watching that <laughs> they're not as good as their crosstown rivals? So you can't pick them to go all the way. They're just not in the same class. Again, they had players missing, and this is a March series game, and it's in March, It's in February or March or that day. No, it was 28th, wasn't it? Not 29th. But they do not have that depth. They do not have young players. Yes, they've got some good young players, but actually those good young players, and people might say, obviously, Blakey, Mills, Heaney, etc. Mills, uh, Blakey's still young. Mills and Heaney already should be in their Ready to go period of their careers, they're the they're the good news stories. There are other guys there that have had a year or two on the list, and they're, they're you know there's an odd collection of guys, an interesting collection, not so brilliant. I don't particularly like their well, I don't like them. Sam Gray, okay, he helps out a bit. Um, Lewis Taylor helps out a bit. Caden Brown helps out not as much. 
I don't think they've recruited much. And you've got to realise, these guys are playing along the midfield and some guys that are getting on in years. No Reed, no Franklin. Obviously, you can't judge their forward line. But boy, McCartan looked lost. Mm. So I don't think he's a key forward. Don't pin him in as the obvious future for the club. He's a good... He's a good spare part swingman. All right, two more games. Uh, one played in Mandura, Southwest WA, and a good result for the Dockers, uh, 13-12-90, defeating Carlton 5-13-43. And um, probably the highlight out of this for Frio was the four-goal haul of uh, Schultz, finally, who I really hope Jesse Hogan's able to come back simply so we can see the Hogan-Schultz tandem. You've been desperate for it. Well, it's a great, come on, it's a great double act. Is there a clink out there just to complete the trifecta? There's not, but I heard that they're looking very closely at a LeBeau next year. (laughs) Is there a clink out there? Well, funny you mention this because we'll be talking about Hogan's Heroes a little bit later. They they used to have LeBeau Meister who came to St Kilda and became LeBeau Wilkes. That's right. The... I'd watch this game. They were, you know what? I, I didn't give them a lot of thought pre-season Fremantle, but they do have a forward line that can be menacing if Hogan comes back. Mm. Because Tabiner is a great target. Well, he, he, Tabiner had definitely turned the corner before he got, got injured, injured last year. Can his body stand up? There's a lot of ifs in this side. Mm. They would have been delighted with the synergy between that forward line. And you know Walters... Maybe the best small forward in the competition caps that off very nicely. Well, the other guy you haven't mentioned, a recruit from last year, and we, we know how talented he is, but I thought he was terrific for him, Rory Lobb. Um, I thought he was probably the best player on the ground, actually. He ended up with a couple of goals, pretty good in the ruck. James Ash bobbed up with a couple of goals for them, too. Yeah, be interesting yeah. to see what he adds. Blake and Akers played well. Blake Akers. Played a lot better than Jack Nunes. Blake Akers actually was very good. Had a lot of the ball. The... I was listening to commentary on radio that game at one point in time. I know Rory Lobb's good, and I'm not going to say who it was because he's an ex-WA footballer and it'll give away the station, but he said that if Rory Lobb was a standalone ruckman and didn't play forward, he'd be the third best ruckman in the comp behind Grundy and Gorn, and if he just played as a key forward, he'd be in the top six forwards in the competition. Now... I've watched him play long enough to know he's neither of those. Well, a sizable call. Uh, quick word on the Blues. They didn't have any of their key forwards playing. They actually got no, a... No, well, Casbolt played forward. Yeah, he's not supposed to play forward well, this think, year, though. Yeah, I think... Isn't it supposed to be Mackay? Kurnow's injured, I know, but there's mm. Mackay and McGovern. Well, it was interesting. I mean, if, you, if you're going to make him a permanent defender, why bother throwing him forward? Because they didn't have a target and they wanted to keep some structure, I think, going forward because they had no structure going forward. Mm. It was good to see Cruiser playing at this stage of the season. He normally doesn't. He had a heart... Um, not operation, a heart procedure, we'll call mm. it, less than three weeks ago. So some encouragement there. And again, a team like Carlton not having... So, you know, a player like Cripps is so central to their ball winning and, and midfield, it's hard to assess them without some of these key players. Good to see uh, Sam Doherty back for them too after uh, two missing years and he added a bit of leadership and also young De Conning, who a lot of Blues people seem to have huge raps on. He had a bit of a run around and kicked a goal for them as well. You know what's great about Doherty and a lot of players coming back from knee injuries? Remember in the olden days you had two knee injuries? You came back wearing something akin to a drug smuggler's brace. You know, mm. God knows. They had no chance almost psychologically going onto the field with that. He looked unencumbered 
And you would have had to been explained his situation to know why Carlton fans were so happy if you didn't know it. And the final game uh, in the Marsh Series of the weekend was uh, up at Wangaratta at Norm Minns Oval between the Tigers and the Magpies. And a uh, good win for Collingwood, 13-6-84, defeating Richmond 6-8-44. I just want to thank Norm Min. Well, it's Norm Minns Oval. It sounds like Norm Min. Let them, he's oval for uh, the no after. No apostrophe. It's, uh, I'm it's, saying, but doesn't it sound like they played at Norm Min's oval. Norm Min and the family were out, so they, he let them use the back paddock. It was a pretty even game until the final quarter when uh, the Tigers went goalless whilst Collingwood kicked another six. Uh, they probably set it up. Uh, blistering first quarter from the Pies, five goals to one. And a uh, few Collingwood guys look really sharp. Jordan Degoe, he's got a few more tats. He's done the peroxide hair thing. I couldn't find him for the first quarter. He played very well. I just couldn't recognise him. Oh, jeez, he was good. He's a, he is a seriously star. good he's player. He's a star player. Three goals for him. Um, thought Majacek competed well up forward. Uh, Reed had his moments too. Uh, Darcy Cameron, uh, the ruckman very from good, Sydney, wasn't it? kicked a couple. Yeah, he played really well. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I mean, I think we all expect the Pies to be thereabouts. Uh, some concerns with Adam Trelaw. Has he torn a hammy? So, uh, They've already said he won't be available round one. Yeah, no, it's, uh, he's had some soft tissue problems in the past, hasn't he? Um, young Josh Dacos, I thought, bobbed up and did a bit. Quite impressive. Uh, anything for the Tigers to worry about? No, not at all. No, I wouldn't have thought so. Jack Higgins making his yeah, uh, no, he looked fine. comeback. Good to see. Yeah, he looked fine. Chol was good. Maboa Chol yeah, yeah, and uh, Liam Baker. Um, that's so close to Leon Baker. Um, and the, yeah. kid, the kid with the hyphen that they've got. Big oh, Coleman, uh, Coleman Jones, is it? They've got two guys with hyphens. Yeah, yeah, no, he's... Which, which um, really ruins my uh, afternoon. the other one, Riley Collier-Dawkins. I think Collier-Dawkins is the one that they're pretty... Oh, they're bullish about both, but... Through pre-season, there's been a lot of Collier Dawkins talk. All right, so that was it for the Marsh series. Uh, and we, when we talked women's too, just on the, on the injury front, I guess uh, Collingwood had a really serious injury there with uh, Ash Brazel. That's the other. Um, that was the other ACL. Yeah, with Tony um, White. Both both star turns as well. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a very costly injury for them. So uh, fingers crossed on the diagnosis on the prognosis, but uh, it didn't look too good. All right, there's enough news for this week. Uh, I think it's time, finally, we got a bit philosophical. Life Hacks. Building a better world. All right, I'm going to kick us off on this segment this week, finally, with uh, the proverbial good news story. And uh, don't, don't reel back in shot. My faith in human nature has been restored. Boy band. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Uh, so Saturday, Abby and I uh, go out for a breakfast bagel and to do the shopping, as we're known to do. And for this, we went down Kunang Road, Carnegie. Very, I love Kunang Road. Very, very busy shopping centre those days. Have some Korean. Uh, yeah, I've had Korean there before at Kim Chi House. Um, anyway, we got a bagel at Huff Bagelry. And, uh, that what was, did you have on your bagel? I had two, actually. Could, could, can I just tell you, because I want a bagel. So I said we're going to zip through these, and no, straight look, away you're derailing it by wanting me to talk about my bagel. I think people are interested in your okay, bagel. I, I just had, want to teach you the Jewish, because it is a Jewish So bread. you don't really want to know what I had on my bagel. I'm just explaining something. If you've got um, things on your bagel, yes, then that's like a bagel with locks and whatever, whatever. If you've just got a spread on it, yes, 
never call it a spread. Okay. It's a schmear. So whether it's cream cheese or whatever you put on it, if it can be wiped with a knife, say I had a bagel and a schmear, and then you can go to New York and they will welcome you with open arms. I don't want to do that because it makes me think of pap smear. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I had uh, bacon. Uh, oh my god, bacon! Oi vey. I had bacon, tomato, and aioli on one, and the other one I had lettuce and uh, beautiful chicken, sort of mashed up chicken with mayo in it, which was very nice. Anyway, we had the bagels. We took our coffees with us. We sat down on a park bench halfway to the supermarket, where, and I've never done this before, and I'm suitably embarrassed about it. I left my phone. So 15 minutes later, we're doing this shopping in the supermarket. Abby's phone rings, and it's my mum, and she's pointing at my pocket. Like, what have I done now? Anyway, turns out I've left my phone behind, which I then realised, and uh, a lovely young man called Matt, Matt Govett, has found my phone, which fortunately for me was unlocked, scrolled down the list of contacts to see whether there was an obvious family member, finds mum in my contacts, rings my mum, explains the situation, mum rings Abby, Abby rings Matt on her phone and we arrange a meeting point. I race down there and there is Matt with his girlfriend with my phone. What a fantastic thing to do. And uh, look, it might not sound like much, but you know, you don't expect people to sort of go above and beyond the call these days. And I can tell you, I really, really, really depend on my phone. And if I'd lost that, I, had, I don't think I'd backed it up in ages. Um, I would have been absolutely shattered, I can tell you. So it was a fantastic thing for Matt to do. Walked out of his way to give it back to me. I said, mate, what can I do for you? Didn't want anything. Someone said later, you should have, what about a burger or a house? But uh, he, he didn't want any of them. I said, well, at least let me plug a business or something. He said, okay, well, I run a concrete polishing business. So if you need concrete of any sort polished, contact Matt Govett, who runs the wonderful Rise and Grind concrete polishing business. And his number is 0401 727 065. That number again, 0401 727 065. Matt Govett, mate, you're a champion, and uh, I know you'll have a listen to this. You may not be on Twitter, but I've got to tell you, I hope it doesn't embarrass you. I tweeted out that story as soon as I got home, and that tweet has now been liked uh, over a thousand times because I think people just love hearing stories that um, show that essentially we're decent people. So it was uh, a hor- what could have been a horrible experience turned into uh, a life-affirming one. And Matt Govett, I cannot thank you enough, mate. You're a ripper. Good on you, Matt. Wasn't that brief. Not after I went through my bagel in graphic detail. (laughs) BS. Okay, go go with your first one. No, I'm going to refer to yours for a moment. That actually brings up something really interesting. What's that? I agree with you. See, I've got an automatic lock thing on my phone so no one could open it mm. and I reckon if I left it somewhere most people would try and do the right thing people don't need other people's phones they're not worth much once they belong to somebody else yeah that's true and I, I just I reckon you I'd be better off without that lock screen because I, I, if it was locked that would what be would the end do? of your phone well okay so if it had been locked what would you do that's where it, would you take it. it nowhere mate that's done didn't it take didn't it take the CIA and FBI you know year 
best part of a year before some kid helped them crack the code of that suspected terrorist's wife and she wouldn't open the phone. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, iPhone fought very hard for, Apple fought very hard for that to be maintained. Well, maybe there's the lesson there. Leave your lock off. Yeah. All right. And also, well done, Matt, because scrolling down your contact list, there is a who's who of Australian sport. Uh, and politics. Wouldn't it be great? And music. <laughs> G'day, Sheeds. My name's Matt. <laughs> no, well, yeah, no, Matt was a Collingwood fan too, so... Um... Yeah, well, then he still would have rung up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, go on. Okay, mine is phone-related as well, so it uh, dovetails nicely. As I mentioned, I got a phone. Plan meant I got the iPhone 11. Honestly, it doesn't mean that much to me. Apparently, the iPhone 11's better than the iPhone 10 because it's got a second camera, which isn't that important to somebody who's only got eight photos on his phone. <laughs> so, and who doesn't like pictures of his family. No, I don't like pictures. I hate being photographed and I hate photographing. So I was just fascinated. It, comes, it came registered post. And I kept it in that cardboard registered post box over three days because I wasn't going to do anything till the weekend on it. My daughter, 13-year-old, and my son, they literally could not walk past it without jumping up and down like five-year-old kids. Please open it. Please open it. Please open it. I opened the first box to reveal the second box, the very attractive box from Apple. You've got to open it. I said, it's wrapped in plastic. If it opens, then you'll get into it. You'll take the charger and the headphones. No. It was like Christmas on Saturday morning. My daughter woke me up to open that bloody box. <laughs> it is such an important symbol of, in childhood and young adulthood, of... Upwardly sta- mobile it's, it's not technology. Just, it's not just status. It's also fashion. Yeah. It, it is everything to them. And she just wanted to... She has held it three or four times. I've said, you can't use it. She goes, no, I just want to feel what it's like to have one. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I did... Maybe we were the same as kids with footy cards and football. And, and I, I coveted an IXL um, slot car raceway, which I never got, but that was my dream. Maybe this is that. I, I'm, I'm sure it, in every generation that's something, but it just glosses. I, I'm bewildered by it. Have you been through the instruction manual? Because there's a Do lot. Do you like to have the. Have you seen the instruction manual? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Well, I've got an iPhone 8. I, I, I had an, I yeah. had an iPhone. Oh, you old! You are yeah. so back of the pack, my friend. Yeah. The instruction manual is, in fact, a little, exactly iPhone eleven sized, um, cardboard holder with loose pages that are really like tissue paper. So I went to read it, pulled one out, and the other sort of on the breeze flew around the house. It it is, it's so up itself. I, it's a great product, but. Design is so at the forefront of everything they do. And I really think by 11, there's not a lot of changes with each phone. No, it's not. Really. So they over engineer and design everything to do with it. Yeah. And it's just, it's just up itself the in other, that respect. The other thing I like with sort of technological things is the um, inordinately large packaging they come in too. So you'll get this huge box for a, you know, a little adapter or something. It's the only thing I've ever had to sign for that I had to show photo ID at the front of even if you're supposed to, the guy that delivers it gives you that thing with a pen on it, you know, that yeah, electronic yeah. signing, yeah. That which is so far away from anything that looks like my signature. You could you could just put a smiley face there or, or draw. They're fun to use, though. You They're could, like the old thing. What was that toy you had as yeah, a yeah, kid? Yeah, yeah, extra sketch. Yeah. Yeah, you could draw anything. Like my signature could be penis and balls in it accepted, but this guy wanted my photo ID. 
Yeah, okay. So I showed him a photo of my penis and balls. Oh, very good. <laughs> uh, that's a visual image I perhaps don't need. Um, and you're not going to get? No, I, I don't want it. Um, all right, uh, second one for me. Uh, very quick observation. The coronavirus, no laughing matter of um, the first person to die from it in Australia, uh, sadly, did over the weekend. So it's uh, certainly been brought a lot closer to home. But I saw an amazing um, number during the week, finally, and uh, out of where else but the good old USA, of course, the company, company, country, might as well be a company, um, silly enough to elect Donald Trump as president, they uh, did some surveying on the coronavirus and the extent of ignorance about the coronavirus. And uh, a good example of that was the fact that 737 serious beer drinkers were polled for this. So that's a, a reasonable sample size. 38% of whom said they would not, under any circumstances, now buy corona beer because of the coronavirus. 38%. Okay. So we now establish that Americans a number of Americans are dumb. Uh, yes. And they're not dumb. They're just not... Ignorant? It's better than dumb because they are, prob- they are, they are by measures of IQ, could be above us or below I'm us, sorry. whatever. If you but, think that, you're But that's dumb. not measured by IQ. I'm saying, but they are ignorant and they are so... Self-centered. Correct. They are so unworldly. Many of them. Not all. Not all. Not all. But so many of them are superficial to anything outside their borders. Starts at the top, finally. Starts at the well, top. Well, certainly does when he talks about cricketers. Did you hear him? Yeah, I did. I, the other thing I heard, and he's done this a few times now. That I saw. I keep seeing snatches of his speeches on Twitter. As long as it's not his girlfriend. No. There was one. Oh, I knew as soon as I said that. <laughs> you're, becoming, you're becoming like Brian Mannix. Um, oh, come on, mate. Bow, 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 bow. Uh, <laughs> So there was one where he started going on about washing machines, uh, new, uh, how new washing machines couldn't give you enough water and, and you've got to uh, – oh, it was dishwashers, actually. And then the other thing was – That's a good point. Oh, well, our dishwasher's going like a busted ass. He's yeah, right. You'd, you'd vote for Donald Trump, I could just say. On the dishwasher uh, issue, yes. All right, your next one. <laughs> Don't, that's not true. You know one of my favourite things in the world is the primate. Oh, yes, yes. Every now and then something happens in Australia, sometimes very big and tragic like the bushfire. Mm. Others, small human interest stories that make it all around the globe. Did you see the one that made it this week? Um, refresh my memory. I love when they show other countries and their news report. And this one from Down Under. Oh, yeah. That's what it was. A male baboon on the way to... Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. A male baboon on the way to getting a vasectomy sprung his, in- yeah. <laughs> his intended oppressor and took two girlfriends with him. Yeah. So they showed the baboons running along. It was great footage, wasn't it? But the best was what the... And they come back and they go... Oh, they said, terrorising Sydney in Australia. And they come back and, of course, you know, it's... Ha-ha, giggle, giggle, giggle. Now, this is no word of a lie. Hey... Those baboon, those are the Australian baboon was probably very similar to the African baboon. I told you they weren't bright. <laughs> In what respect? Oh, they said oh, they looked exactly like the, the baboons oh, from Africa. Shit. It was on those morning programs, you know, okay. how they talk inane rubbish. But it was a great story. Yeah. Why did and he sad, take the and sad story? Why did he take the two accomplices with him? If you're about to get a vasectomy, yeah, and you know it's probably inevitable. There's a reason he escaped. 
you, you, with me, in the back of the... the, the back of the divvy van. Yeah. <laughs> You're going home in the back of the it, divvy van. You know, if he's hanging on to his manhood, he yeah. needs somebody to use it on. But I was guessing the sad truth of the story is... But they're doing experiments on no, no. baboons? No, that is... Uh, and they pointed out, look, it is the last stage of many medical research um, process. The process is to p- perform tests on... Uh, genetically, something as close to human beings as possible, and it's a, it's a, it's a necessary evil. If one, well, I think people were most shocked, weren't they, that this was going on in a hospital? Yeah, uh, what shocked me was that there is a that facility- didn't shock you. No, I thought. I well, thought- have you ever seen a, a primates hanging around? Um, no, but I think, I think, I think medical research. I'm, I'm sort of happy that medical research is happening at a medical facility. Yeah. I'd like to think that those people are more sensitive to animals' needs and some of the horrible um, hidden footage you see by animal welfare groups where, you know, part-time employees and and yokels are given the role of administering last rights to animals and do so with callous, you know, coldness and brutality. But I just was sort of a bit taken aback by that there's a full breeding facility in Sydney. So these baboons have never never stepped on grass or climbed a tree. Mm. These baboons are bred solely for medical experimentation, had got to an age where the vasectomy was necessary to suppress his adulthood, which makes him harder to handle, more violent. But it's a very sad life that these animals lead solely bred for the purposes of medical experimentation. It is. And I just thought of a very cheap line that I shouldn't. I was going to say, do you think he, he saw it coming? Not anymore. And I'm Brian Mannix. Now, yeah. you know, kettle, yeah, black. Yeah. No, no, fair enough. Um, all right, uh, last one from me. Now, you're going to like uh, and this And I like one. Brian, so don't get me involved I in like that. I like Brian as well. He's just got the mind of a smutty schoolboy. And I think he Which would, I borrow sometimes. I think I think he would uh, consider that a compliment. Um, all right, I am reading a great book at the moment, and uh, I'm planning to do a bit of a review for the Footyology website in the next couple of days. So watch out for that. But um, it is uh, by Tony Wilson, um, renowned uh, journalist, author, uh, former contestant in uh, was it Race Around the World? Right, ripping bloke, son of Hawthorne's 1971 premiership player Ray Wilson, and a former Hawthorne player himself too. Who... Not a senior, not a senior game, but on the list definitely. Correct. Uh, anyway, Tony has written a book about the 1989 Grand Final called the 1980 uh, 1989, I think it's called. Um, anyway, I'm now the 1986. I'm now 84. Was it 84? Don't do this. You just make everything longer. Um, I'm about three quarters of the way through it now, and it is a ball terror, folks. Uh, have a read of it. I do love my footy books. I've raved about Conrad Marshall's Richmond books, but this is a ripper. And I'm a person who, and I know some people are thinking, oh, how much can you read or hear or see about that grand final? Well, there's a heap of stuff in this that I hadn't uh, read before, and it's because Tony has done, or he's interviewed a heap of people, but he's spoken to um, some of the not the usual suspects for a lot of this stuff. So, among others, he speaks to uh, Dean Anderson, uh, Greg Madigan, who was playing his, I think, sixth game in that grand final. 
Um, he speaks to the Hawthorne doctor of a time, Terry Gay. Um, he speaks to Bruce Lindner from a Geelong perspective, Darren Flanagan. So not some of the usual people you see rounded up for this stuff. He does speak to Dermot Brereton and uh, Dipper and, you know, those sort of more visible characters. Um, but it's not just sort of anecdotes either. It's, I like the way it's done, basically, in chronological order. Um, and uh, it gives you a bit of a sort of backgrounder in terms of how the season had gone before it leads up to the game. But it's just, it's it's gripping. It is absolutely gripping. But I just wanted to say this, that um, I've changed my mind about the 89 Grand Final. Now, I was one of those, uh, I guess, naysayers in that, I think, it, don't get me wrong, always thought it was a great Grand Final, chock full of incident, incredible individual performances. Where I thought it, fell down in comparison with others was the closeness of the contest. To wit, for 90% of the game, the margin was around the 6-7 goal mark. Um, and I used to say, oh, look, Geelong were never going to win it. Well, I've now, I mean, I've watched it so many times. I don't know why this has just sort of clicked with me now, but that's not actually true because um, and I watched the last quarter again in its entirety. When Shane Hamilton kicks a goal for Geelong to bring them back within 11 points, there is still nine and a half minutes left. Now, you look at that today, particularly, you think anyone's game, still 10 minutes to go. So it's just under 10 minutes to go. Geelong were 11 points down. Hawthorne immediately got a goal through Dean Anderson. But um, even right at the end, when Gary Ablett kicks his final goal of a game to make it uh, 11 points, there is still three and a half minutes to go. That's long enough. Um, when David Cameron kicks the last goal of the game, it was going to be tough then, but 28 seconds to go when the ball goes back to the centre for the final bounce. So Geelong actually was a chance. And aside from all that, the the amount of incident, uh, the amount of stories that have come out of it, the incredible high scores, the open play, it is right up there. I still don't think it's the best grand final um, of the ones I've been to, and I've been to everyone since 1973, 2012 still the best for me. But um, I've changed my mind on the 89 grand final, and it is a belter of a book by Tony Wilson. Came out yesterday. Hardy Grant Publishers uh, should be in all good bookstores, so get on the case. I haven't read the book, but I've discussed it with somebody, and I'm not going to ruin an important feature part of the book, but... Uh, the bit on John Platten apparently is re- revealing and confronting. Uh, yes. So, uh, and we're talking about concussion. Yeah. Um, yep, the extent to which he was affected, definitely. Uh, my final note of the week in observation comes from the aisles of the chocolate bar in your local convenience store or if you're lucky enough to still be walking distance to a milk bar. You know... There is a survivor in the chocolate bar section that I, I just looked at and I thought, I haven't had one of you for a long time because I never liked you when I had you. How are you still there? Polly Waffles I have knew come. You were going to say that. Well, they've come and gone. Mm. I didn't really like them, but I, I, think, oh, I think they were more valid than this one. Mm. Um, fries Five Fruits was my favourite. Now, that's an English chocolate bar. And you can still get fries, orange, cream and mint, but you can't get the Five Fruits. And there have been others that have come and gone. What the, What is the peppermint crisp? It is a chocolate around peppermint-flavoured broken glass. It's a strange being. 
and I had one on the weekend. It is one weird, you know, the the, the that those shards of peppermint. When you chew them, they become as one and get stuck in yeah. any orifice in your mouth, and it's a. Isn't fe- there only one orifice in your mouth? No, no, any any so any aperture in cavity. Your mouth. Any, I don't have cavities, and I, I found <laughs> de- dentists would use peppermint crisp to identify oncoming rather than ca- oncoming oncoming holes in people's teeth. That, and it is such an offensively fake peppermint taste, mm. and it is so green and so loud. <laughs> I don't know how it survived. What about the flowing uh, peppermint one? Is that still available? Because there used to be one of them. Peppermint flow? <laughs> I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, no, I can't. What, with a cream, a peppermint yeah. juice in it or yeah. something? Yeah. There have been various... What about Aero? There's a, I, I nice, like nice. Pe- peppermint Aero, I like. And I think I think from the peppermint Aero, somewhere back in the day, somebody said, imagine if we made a peppermint Aero with... Um, Toffee or glass or, or fiberglass or because the peppermint arrow is nice. You know, some this is mean. Yeah, some I wish we weren't talking about chocolate because it's a particular weakness and I've been really good in staying away from it. Some numbskull, uh, I think they were a local. Yeah, they did a, um, a ranking of all the uh, Cadbury's flavored chocolates and they had the temerity to put caramello like halfway down the pecking order. Yeah, I don't think much of caramello. Oh, come it's on. Just, it's just it's just utilitarian. I think it's about halfway down. Oh, so what's your number one? I saw this the other day. I don't know whether it's Cadbury. Cadbury are doing a tribute to it because it's a Pascal's product. What is it? But you can get a Cadbury chocolate bar with it in it. I love pineapple lumps. Ugh, yuck. You don't like pineapple lumps? Nah, it's like pineapple on pizza. I don't think I like pineapple at any time, really. I like the I like the texture of it. I you know what I used to love? I don't think I don't think you can get can you still get um choo choo bars? Those uh, really hard oh this is like chocolate, those really hard yeah, liquid ones. Uh, I'm not sure. What about White Knight? Remember that? They, they were great. The That's mighty a, mint chew White Knights were great and they had Spearmint night mm. and a pink night. Yeah, and that's why I like pineapple lumps because it's that same sort of polystyrene texture that somehow appeals to me. Yeah, I liked white nights. Now they were more cracky, crack, caramelly. They were more. They were harder, weren't they? I'm surely the bulk of our listeners are with me on caramello. It no, is, oh, it's the king of chocolate. No, it isn't. Yeah, it is. But better than a strawberry Fredo frog. Yep. Heresy. No question. Absolutely. But it's no just question. a base. Is that because there's a koala or something? Is something appealed to no, you? it's just nice. I like caramel. Is it a, is it a koala? Yeah, caramel koala. Um, what it was with the logo for a football your, your, team. Your favorite, Brisbane's logo. Your favourite brand of chocolate, very quickly. I know people go, oh, Lint is great. I have a brand that I love, and I just want people to try it because it's really one product they're famous for all around the world. It's from Sweden called Dame, D-A-I-M. All it's right. this beautiful chocolate over a very thin... Crackly toffee with with very thin roasted almonds in it. I've got to say, Milka always the and the marketing for Milka always worked on me. Right, up at the hills, the Heidi. Well, look. when we were in Austria, every every time I've been in Austria or Germany, or whatever, I've desperately wanted Milka chocolate. But Wint for me, you, the melt in the mouth factor with Wint is just insane. Anyway, I've got to stop it. No, you don't, because just very quickly, you know, we both love South Park, correct? Yes. We both love Chef Song's Salty Chocolate Balls. Yes. I do a very 
good version of that with Lint's chocolate balls because my mother always has them in a bowl when you go over to her place. Yes. And when the kids are there, mmm, stick them in your mouth and suck them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And they do it. Uh, yes, and that is Isaac Hayes, of course, doing the chef character in South Park. All right, uh, there's enough life hacks. Uh, let's step back in time, Finey, and uh, talk about the great music, movies, and TV of yesteryear. Vinyl and video. Pressing rewind on our favourite music, movies and TV. Alright, what year are we going for? It's your choice, Finey, in vinyl and video. What year have we chosen? Now, we've gone been more contemporary the last uh, couple of weeks. Now, let me have a wild guess. No, I'll give you a clue. I'll only give, I'll only give you a clue, see if you can get it. Well, I just... Okay, I, I'll just... Say uh, philosophically, I'm thinking you're going to overcorrect. I did overcorrect. Yeah, here we go. Because a lot of people, when you give them a year, go, "I wasn't even alive then." Well, yeah. this is the year where we could say we weren't. Both of us could say, "I wasn't alive," and I was alive. Oh no! How far uh, back are we going? Oh, that, it's bad because when you say you weren't alive, then pro-life people say, "Yes, you were alive." <laughs> 1965, ah, we were both born. And uh, just for our listeners' interests, when were you born in 1965? I was born on the 22nd of May, 1965, which, by the way, incredibly coincidentally, was the day, the very day, Kevin Neal and Barry Breen made their debuts for St. Kilda. Right? Both made their debut against North, 22nd of May, 1965. Uh, well, I'm a March baby, so I'm older than you, and in fact... Um, You've been marching ever since for people's rights and etc. Uh, and in fact, my uh, another year ticks over for me very, very shortly, as a matter of fact. Are you not going to give us the day? Uh, oh, yeah, okay, 5th of March. Just on that, did you... Do you yeah, know anybody don't say happy birthday to me. No, because it's not your birthday <laughs> yet. Do you, do you, we, I never knew this. One of my... Harper's really good friends. His her birthday was yesterday. Oh, yeah, right. So how I'd old is she? Four or three? Or, three. I yeah. never knew that I knew somebody who, birthday. and she's been in the house a few, born on the 29th of February, and boy, did she get fussed over because yeah. Harper wanted to, you know, do something with her. I can't. I've got this on, that on. It's like a, it's well worth being born on that day. It's like the super birthday. Well, do you reckon there are any really strict parents who just only allow their kid to have a birthday would, every four years? I would absolutely do that. <laughs> no <laughs> celebration, but every four years, it would be like your 21st. All right, so we're going back to 1965, and uh, we weren't alive for not that much of that year, but we weren't alive. Now, I've got to say, you told me that, and I thought, oh, here we go. And I knew it would be a challenge, and it was a challenge. Why? Because most really? of, yeah, it was a big challenge. Most of the music I like is way past that time frame. Uh, TV I was more confident about. Movies I wasn't. Oh, TV was brilliant. Uh, movies I wasn't quite sure. Um, so who who should start? Uh, I'll kick us off. All right, kick us off. So music, and I hope you've got an album. Uh, you could only have albums. Okay, well, g- let me give a few apologies before you give your choice. I Please know, do. I know what you've chosen. And one thing you can't help but notice with these years in the 60s, and same in rock and roll the other week when we did a year, how prolific some bands were. In fact, a couple of big-name bands put out three albums in one year, which these days is just unheard of. But a few that came out in 1965 that uh, neither of us have mentioned Highway 61 Revisited by Bob Dylan, pretty famous album. 
Uh, of course, famous, doesn't get more famous than the Beatles. Rubber Soul came out in 1965. The Birds brought out Mr. Tambourine Man. Uh, Rolling Stones, who also, I think, had three albums that year, Out of Our Heads was one of them, and self-titled by The Hollies. But, Finey, you have gone with... Well, Beatles had four albums that year. Was it year. four? And the, Be- the Beatles were a prolific band, so to get a lot of good songs on one album in terms of time and time tested by time and still loved is quite uncommon yeah but help was that album help by the Beatles Correct. is your choice okay what tracks have we got on it first of all you get a whopping 14 tracks even though they're 14 music, yeah their music really goes over three minutes a song it's more around two minutes but the obviously help yep kicks you off uh you've then got You've got to hide your love away. Oh, yeah, that's a good song. Hey. Yeah, yeah. So people know that pretty well. Um, Dizzy Miss Lizzie. Oh, yeah. Has its its admirers. The um, then two huge ones, Ticket to Ride. Oh, great song. And if, if I asked you one Beatles song, one great Beatles song that says... They, their brilliance, that, that speaks to their brilliance, or their most, their best-known song. What their is Their best-known song? What do you think their best-known song is? Uh, I'd say best-known song, probably a toss-up between, well, Hey Jude and Let It Be, which are not later, uh, they're yeah. late in the piece, and probably Yesterday. Yesterday's on this album. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I think you're probably right. Hey Jude was their most critically acclaimed song, and Let It Be and Yesterday... Also, hugely credited by aficionados, mm. say the Beatles. The and of course, they, that recent movie was called Yesterday. The yeah, the movie about the guy who awakens in a world where they didn't exist but knows all their music. It's a pretty good album. It's a great album. You know, I, uh, people get me wrong about the. But I did tweet on the weekend the Beatles were overrated. It was a bit of a troll effort. That I, is a troll. Come on, mate. Well, I'll I tell you, the one thing that annoyed me about them, they did too many novelty songs. You know, every album there's two or three but sort of disposable yellow submarines. They have got that, so much music. Uh, they were incredibly How prolific. about their double-sided single? To me, that says, their double A. Yeah. The range, I love something. I think something is a beautiful song when you're in love, and I'm, I'm in love every day because I love my wife, and mm. I think it's a beautiful song. And on the other side is a pretty deep, uh, gritty song come together. Which, oh, yeah. Yeah. And that, to me, is an enormous range of music. I, w- I wish, I mean, look, I'm a, I'm a rock pig. I, I wish they'd rocked more because yep. they could rock. Back you in know. the USSR, that uh, sort of. Yeah, Helder Skelter. Yep. Um, yeah. But yeah, look, no doubt. Yesterday is a, you know, it's not a song I'd listen to by choice, but I appreciate its brilliance as a piece of songwriting. I no, I think that's a, a very good choice of album. Help by the Beatles. Okay, I am going with. From, uh, I reckon if you're talking about the great English bands, and I had a very uh, there was a very animated debate about this on Twitter on Saturday because whilst I was researching for this, I do you speak to your to Abigail on Twitter? Do you only communicate via that medium? She refuses to get on Twitter. You know, she hates it and she uh, hates everyone on it. She <laughs> Including said, you? You talk more to strangers than you do to me. Um, but what I'm thinking tends to be what I tweet. So I was researching and I, I couldn't – I put these guys on. I do like this band more than the Beatles, more than the Stones. 
I don't like them more than Led Zeppelin. But for me, and I did tweet this, and, and I stand by this, I think early stuff, and I'm probably talking pre-65, um, I reckon the Who's stuff stands up uh, a little bit better than the Stones or the Beatles, early stuff. Controversial call, I know. But anyway, uh, Who's Next for me, which came out in 71, is one of the best 10 albums of all time. It's a belter of an album. But earlier than that, um, what were the Who like? Well, their debut, for a debut, I reckon this was a pretty phenomenal effort. The album title is My Generation, and it spawned, of course, the well, probably their most famous song, My Generation. Now, for 1965, that is a ball terrifying. That's a pretty rocky, aggressive, snarly punk. It's almost don't talk, a, to, don't talk to me. That is a great album of a band that you think hugely of, and you think it's a bad year to choose music? Okay. That right. is a really... That's a great album. All right. Well, My Generation, arguably the first punk song ever written. What else is on it? Um, well, the other, the best-known song apart from My Generation would be The Kids Are All Right, which is another great song. Um, but I, I've, made, I've listened, played it right through. Uh, there's a, a couple of belters. There's a, a real sort of droney, um, sludgy rock number called The Good's Gone. Um, another one, uh, James Brown cover, I Don't Mind. Uh, first track on the album, Out in the Street, is pretty uh, tough sounding. Um, basically, uh, I've seen it, this album described as a template for garage rock, metal and punk. And you have to keep reminding yourself as you're listening to it, 1965. It is a pretty heavy record for 1965. And of course, the classic Who lineup, the only Who lineup, um, Roger Daltrey out on vocals, Pete Townsend, who wrote basically everything on this album, uh, Lee Guitar, John Entwistle, fantastic bass player, and Keith Moon, the mad, mad Keith Moon. Of course, sadly, to uh, pass on in 1978. But uh, as a as a debut album, they don't come a lot better, I don't think, The Who, My Generation. I, can I say, I know it's, I think it's actually respected as a bit of a go-to, Billboard's list and carefully considered list of greatest songs ever. Yep. A very lofty number 11, greatest. My generation. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it is a great song. As you say, it is uh, genre creating. Yeah. Predates many similar songs that are legendary. Yeah. And I would say, if, if you put me on the spot, I would put it in the top five most important rock songs and seminal rock songs ever ever written and sung. Now, there's an argument for it. Uh, when you're talking instrumentation too, what's one of the most effective weapons in my generation for the sound? Don't overthink it. I'm trying to... Well... This. Dr- Clapping. The yeah. hand claps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I hear first yeah, yeah. When, I, when I... Anyway... We've got to move on. Movies. Now, uh, sorry, before you go with movies, in fact... TV we normally do second. No, no, movies, movies? Okay. second. Um, I'm desperately trying to remember what your movie was. Oh, you'll, you'll know it in a second. All right. Uh, well, some honourable mentions. Um, Cat Baloo, the uh, Western. Like Lee Marvin with his horse asleep on the side of the barn. The Great Race. Uh, Dr. Zhivago, the great love story. Uh, of course, the movie Help. Uh, yes. uh, which I used to enjoy as a kid. Uh, the Spy Who Came In From The Cold and What's New Pussycat. But your movie selection, Finey, is... 
So long, farewell, Auf Wiedersehen, uh, goodbye. Of course, the la, 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 sound la. of music. This was a movie that I've seen a lot of times, including every night when I stayed at a famous youth hostel in Salzburg. They played it every night. They played that movie every night because that youth hostel is a five-minute bus trip from the Sound of Music tour, the actual uh, the castle that was used in the filming. Yep. It, it also, back in when I went there in the late 80s and 1990, was a meeting point from all around Aust- uh, Europe for Australians. It was a very famous Aussie go-to place at Salzburg Youth Hostel. Happy memories there, but happy memories of the movie as well. It contained, look, uh, I guess songs that are sappy, but boy, are they familiar to everybody? Yeah, Easily just, remembered? Well, here's an embarrassing question because it just popped into my head, but I think it's Mary Poppins. Spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Is that Mary Poppins? That's not correct. That's not right. Okay. Uh, Sound of Music. Uh, what's the I most mean, famous song out of Sound of Music? Edelweiss? Oh, yeah. I can't sing, and I certainly can't sing of any of their songs. What do we do with a problem like Maria? What do we do? A deer? That's what they might fight. Deer, Ray, an umpire. You you have a lot of fun with that, you know. You do the AFL version. I used to do versions of that, actually. We could do one. Do the money they overpay. Gil, the boss. (laughs) Go on. So, it's... Look, it's it's set in people know the story. It's it's a family that, uh, even though they're Austrian and should have been after the Anschluss, which was the voluntary giving up of national rights to be part of Nazi Germany, they should have been very much Teutonic supporters of the Nazi regime. They railed against it because they innately knew that the Nazis were nasty, and they look they needed. It was a large motherless family. Uh, the mother, not explained how she met her demise, was uh, her position was taken in terms of care of the children by wayward um, nun Sister Maria. Julie Andrews. Played by the not-so-wayward, always-singing Julie Andrews, and even though nuns aren't supposed to do this, she won the heart of Christopher... Is it Plummer? Christopher Plummer? Christopher Plummer. Who played the role of the father, mainly in Lederhosen, which had him walking around in shorts for much of the movie. He's got nice legs. Um, the, kild- the children are a cast of probably um, good child actors, not well known, except for. Yeah, I can't remember anyone apart from the two actors you yeah, just know. Except for somebody who's going to come up in my best TV show. Oh, okay. All right. We'll get to that. Okay. We'll get to that shortly. All right. My uh, movie, I thought about this one and, um, gee, it's been a while since I saw it, but I sort of refreshed my memory about the plot, watched the trailer again, and it came back to me. And uh, this is, some people thought it was a bit syrupy, but oh, I thought this is a pretty potent, powerful movie. And I'm talking about Shenandoah, about the American Civil War. You seen it? Never saw it. You've heard of it, though, haven't you? I've heard of it. Uh, Jimmy Stewart playing the lead role and uh, the lead role of Charlie Anderson. And he is the patriarch of, uh, it's always a big family, I think seven kids and a familiar story, Finey. Their mother has departed this mortal coil, so he is a widower 
and um, he lives in on a farm in Virginia, and they um, the American Civil War breaks out. Where do they stand on it? Well, they uh, are pacifists, so they are determined not to get involved. And in the end, um, they have no choice but to get involved because uh, the youngest son, Boy, <laughs> that's his name, Boy, uh, who's 16, uh, he's off. Uh, wandering with his friend and he has a confederate cap that he wears and um, they are beset upon by a a group of union troops who make him a prisoner of war. He can't successfully explain to them that it's just a cap he wears. He's not actually a confederate soldier. And so Jimmy Stewart, Charlie Anderson, sets out with uh, family, most of family in tow to look for boy and um, they uh, stumble upon a lot of poignant uh, Civil War scenes. As a kid, Finey, I was very, very uh, enraptured by the American Civil War. My older brother Steve and I used to play with Confederate and Union soldiers and recreate battles and Gettysburg and etc, etc. Other notable uh, actor in the cast, Catherine Ross. I think this is her debut and plays Jimmy Stewart's daughter-in-law. But um, this is a farming family in the the Confederate stronghold which didn't have slaves. They didn't believe in slaves. Um, And Jimmy Stewart won't let his sons join up to fight the war. And uh, it, there's a, a tragic end in a way, but um, some uh, lifelong lessons learned. And uh, it's, a, it's a powerful movie. And Jimmy Stewart, I'm not much a one to sort of fawn over actors or actresses and, you know, like it's, it's the director and the, the uh, screenwriter that uh, does all the work. But Jimmy Stewart, he is a wonderful, wonderful actor and he plays this role perfectly. So that is my choice. Shenandoah about the American Civil War. Okay, let's move on to TV and uh, some uh, honourable mentions again. Um, it was a pretty good year for TV, I reckon. I Dream of Jeannie, uh, Gidget, F Troop, Days of Our Lives. Uh, but you had a bit of a Sophie's Choice in the TV world, Finey. And what was that choice? First of all, those that you listed for people of our vintage and even younger people who through subscription TV, cable TV, have been able to immerse themselves in some of the old classics. There's some good shows there. F Troop, much loved by many people. And I Dream of Jeannie. Uh, the dreams of many young boys our age uh, through their teenage years centred around the idea of having a nubile young woman pop out of a bottle. Barbara Aden. Yeah. She, I, she I, I was more a uh, Elizabeth Montgomery fan in oh, Bewitched. Okay. I loved Elizabeth It's funny that they both, had, they both had cousins or alter egos with dark hair that were nasty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's very strange how much they impersonated each other. But the actually there was a character, an actor on who on Audrey McGenie, he was a great had a great role on my favourite show. I had to put in second place something that I think is so outstandingly brilliant. Actually probably a better show and one that I watch more, but it just doesn't have that cult pull of the my pick is get smart now not to pick that's get, your runner up that's my runner up to not pick get smart it's just you know it criminal does, it's almost criminal i'd it's, assumed you'd but why wouldn't you pick it because i'm going to the tv program well quick word on get smart all right get smart beyond brilliant the work of mel brooks 
Don Adams had already been known because he was in I Spy. So he wasn't a nobody, but he made this program his own with characters like 99, played by Barbara Feldon, Edward Platt playing the chief, Larrabee, who in fact was get Don Adams' brother-in-law. He wasn't an actor, mm. but turned out to be a great deadpan goof-off. Uh, then there's Siegfried uh, from Chaos, played by Bernie Koppel, um, Starker, and just so many famous quotes. And a lot the cone of, of silence. A lot of... A lot of repeat humour that would become popular in other TV Who series. Who was Chief again? Edward Platt. Right. He was good. The Would You Believe gag. Yeah. The Three Stages. Very much Mel Brooks's style. Sort of gags that worked, repeated in different ways in different shows. Gold. Pure gold. But it did maybe go a little bit long and it did peter out at the end, which this program didn't because it only went four seasons and in looking back, it was cheesy, and it was many things, but boy, it's much loved, and has spawned a new generation with a more serious version with movies and TV series, and I speak of Lost in Space. Ah. Now, Lost in Space was made by the quite brilliant Irwin Allen, who loved doing sci-fiction. He did Land of the Giants and some movies, and he did them on relatively low budgets. But he was able to, a, a young boy, when I was a kid, first watching it, uh, at about eight or nine. See, it didn't do that well in 65 to 68. It was in syndication and re-release that it became a very popular program. Hugely popular in Australia, so much so that the cast regularly visited. Jonathan Harris, who stole the show as Zachary Smith, uh, appeared on Hey Hey It's Saturday on a number of occasions. He was oh, so really? popular. He brought with him, I think his name is Tutfield, a uh, uh, um, short-statured gentleman who was inside the robot. What about uh, Billy Mummy? Bill Muby is his correct, correct pronunciation. I had the good fortune with Scott Goodings to interview Billy when I was on radio. We did a TV Freak Hour, and he gave us an hour of his time. Who was he again? Will Robinson. Oh, the little... The boy. Yeah. Uh, Zachary Smith, sort of the heart warmer that made Zachary Smith... Zachary Smith's character... Doc, uh, the character of Zachary Smith started as a nefarious plotter who put the... Um, Jupiter 2, the, the ship they were on, off course, and he was very dark and almost um, murderous. But he was a very good actor, Jonathan Harris, a stage actor, and an excellent comedic foil. And he sort of became the central focus of the program with the robot and with Bill Mumy, as it became more of a kid's show. Now, in interviewing Bill Mumy, I've just got to tell you a couple of vignettes. They didn't have big budgets, and they had to create an alien world in a studio. And the studio each night was sort of swept bare, and it was four plain walls. They didn't have green screens. They had to build things that looked scary, and they were good at it. Except Bill Mumy admitted sometimes it was so obvious to the actors that what they were dealing with was ad hoc props that they couldn't do the scene. It was so funny. And there was a famous scene where they were in a desert filled. It was a minefield. And what they had done was submerged beach balls Half, half, half in sand with uh, flashing lights inside the beach balls. And they would walk along and they just all kept cracking up laughing. They're just looking at these beach balls, but they have to act that they're explosive mines. It was fantasy. It was cult. A lot of people say, well, you're a lost in space person or a Star Trek person. Well, you know what? You know the difference between the two was? If you're a lost in space person, you sort of got the joke. You understood that you liked it, 
but you laughed at it and actually with it. If you're a Star Trek person, you just you're take a it, nerd. You, you take you take the that too seriously. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you on that. All right, uh, my TV show and uh, yeah, no, not really a cult thing, but uh, certainly you one. You love it. Well, I, I didn't talk love about it that every, much. Every time Fremantle plays, you love yeah, it. Yeah, I know. It's it's just, I don't know why, but I've got this thing stuck in my head, and I did watch a lot of it as a kid, along with the shows you mentioned. I'm talking about Hogan's Heroes, set in a uh, POW camp, and uh, revolving around, well, three stars, really. Uh, Colonel Robert Hogan, played by Bob Crane. Cur- the commander of the camp, Colonel Wilhelm Klink, played by Werner Klemperer, and... Sergeant, the lovable and oafish Sergeant Hans Schultz, played by brilliantly by John Banner. And, of course, the supplementary characters, one of which you mentioned before, LeBeouf. LeBeau. He's the uh, LeBeouf. LeBeau. He's the code cracker, isn't he? Do you know who who LeBeouf was or a famous character, LeBeouf? No. In True Grit, he was the offsider from Texas Rangers. John Wayne movie. Um, and uh, they actually got there were some legal issues early on from the um, makers of one of my favourite films, Starlog Seventeen, uh, just over the concept of this. But uh, basically, set in a POW camp in Germany, and uh, these guys are actually not trying to escape; they're trying to stay there so they can facilitate other people escaping, which uh, happens with monotonous regularity because of the incompetence of Colonel Clink and Sergeant Schultz, among others. Uh, but phenomenally successful series ran for six seasons between 65 and 71, 168 episodes. Sadly, Finey, and I fell victim to this myself, uh, probably overshadowed in the end by the grisly fate of Bob Crane, um, Colonel Robert Hogan, and uh, the sort of mystery and uh, innuendo, which has um, followed his death, and you, you know about all this, I presume. So 1978, uh, Bob Crane was uh, horribly bludgeoned to death in a seedy hotel room, and a whole uh, catalogue of stories about his uh, extracurricular activities involving women and video cameras and an accomplice came to light, and uh, I went down that rabbit hole while researching for this finally, and for some... You you also became a sexual outlier? No, I didn't, but I ended up seeing the footage of um, Bob Crane uh, in his hotel room as filmed by the coroner, um, which I sort of wish I hadn't, because it was pretty grisly. Anyway, the murder has never been solved, and they've reopened the case, I think, on three separate occasions with using DNA evidence and blah, 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 but they still never solved the case. Because they couldn't get any corroborating white witness ev- evidence. Everybody said that they saw nothing. <laughs> oh, very good. And his alleged accomplice died uh, only a few years later anyway. So anyway, Hogan's Heroes, it was a pretty funny show. It was. Can I just give you two or three really interesting facts about Hogan's Heroes? You can. Very quick. First of all, the pilot of Hogan's Heroes, shot in black and white, is so different from the program that was much loved, far, far um, grittier and meaner, and they actually had to change two or three of the characters. Oh, really? Sergeant Schultz was not the lovable, bumbling Schultz that we know. He was a lick spittle to clink and quite a nasty one as well. The most, ga- the glaring difference was Hogstetter. 
the SS officer, who would appear regularly with the catch cry, Who is this man? whenever Hogan appeared. He was played by a brutal Teutonic-looking-like person who had no humour whatsoever. They watched it back and thought it wasn't funny enough, so it's a very different feel. Much closer to Star Lake 17 than Star Lake 13 would become as part of Hogan's Heroes. The other interesting thing, when you make a movie in the 60s, mid-60s, about Nazi Germany, and you want actors who actually have good German accents and can play the roles well, you need German or Austrian actors. Well, to be honest, in 1965, only 20 years after the war, if you're getting actors who are 40 or 50 years old from Germany, there's a big problem with that. They're in jail? Well, what were they doing during the war? They couldn't really use such actors. Every role played by a German in this TV series is played by a Jewish German. Ah, yes. Makes sense. Clink is half Jewish. John Banner, Jewish. Um, the great character, Colonel Burkhalter, a famous Jewish actor, Louis Acker, and I think some of the best lines. Clink, have you met my sister Brunhilde? These are all Jewish actors, each and every one of them. All right, uh, there is vinyl and video for this week going way, way, way back. Uh, we'll make it a little more contemporary next week. But uh, What, 66, the year we won yeah. the flag? Worth doing. It was a year worth doing. All right, Finey, time to rant. On Footyology, the rant off. Okay, um, I've been getting a bit serious with the rants lately, finally. Probably a reflection of uh, my concern about various things going on in the world. And I've got another serious one today. The old Alex rants. You know, Rowan, I have a, I wish that you're not pissed off. Because I've got a feeling you're going to say, I'm pissed off finally. So, one, two, three, what's it to be? I'm pissed off with the AFL's media strategy, Finey, for a number of reasons. First of all, there's a seeming abandonment of anyone who uses their regular website as a tool whilst watching games on the TV. We've had two weeks now of the Marsh series, and yet still the match centre set up on the website offers no player or team stats during or even after games. You'll notice the tabs for them say, coming soon. Well, they'd want to hurry up. I'd suggest the stats of the first practice game between St Kilda and Hawthorne last week will be pretty irrelevant once round one of the premiership season arrives. Yes, they're available on the AFL Live phone app, but why is it such a stretch to put the same stats you're already running there on the website as well? And stats have been taking a back seat for a while now on the competition's official site. It started last year when, without the slightest explanation, what was a really good statistics setup with a full range of categories available for both teams and players, all sortable from highest to lowest, suddenly got slashed to only the most basic categories, none of which could be sorted. I can now name half a dozen other AFL sites about AFL football which run more comprehensive statistical offerings than the league's own one. And while that doesn't seem to cause the AFL much embarrassment, it should. Secondly, I've mentioned before on this podcast that the AFL media division was reportedly going to head more of a, quote, lifestyle, unquote, direction, i.e. less serious footy stuff, more wacky player videos, tours of players' homes, and those little video funnies on Instagram, which seem to occupy more and more time and energy. Well, forget the reportedly. I know this segment usually takes the piss, Finey, but I can confirm that this strategy actually is a thing. 
kids and the casual fan now being the most sought-after market sectors. AFL media aren't the first media group to try this sort of stuff, and on one level I get it. But as I've said with all the others, why does seducing the previously unconverted have to be at the expense of the committed? Why piss off your core constituency in order to woo those without a strong attachment to the game? And if you do get them on board, why be so scared of trying to then instill in them a deeper knowledge of and stronger emotional tie to the sport? You want a warning sign of this? I'd argue the last couple of seasons of cricket's Big Bash, both in terms of quality of product and level of interest, are a pretty good example. And this is the final point, the one about which I feel most strongly. There seems to be a view in both media organisations and indeed the AFL that the game's history doesn't rate, isn't sexy and doesn't appeal on a broad enough level. But if that's the case, why is Channel 7's The Front Bar, a show whose entire shtick revolves around a love of the game and its history, become such a big hit? We've spoken many times about the criminal disregard TV networks have shown for their archives over the years. But there's still a stack of terrific, compelling old football footage which seldom, if ever, gets a run on the AFL's own platforms. If you're interested in seeing it, now that the old name-a-game facility has ceased to exist, I'll tell you where to head. It's to YouTube and to the channel of a guy who goes by the handle Jezza1967, and that's Jezza with a G, G-E-double-Z-A-1967. This guy has put together a pretty amazing catalogue of footy history. Not just games, but all sorts of wonderful things from TV news clips to post-grand final medal presentations, old documentaries, old ads, you name it. He does a wonderful job. And thank God for Jezza 1967, because if he wasn't doing it now, I'm pretty sure the AFL wouldn't be. And that makes me, sadly, even more confident that while Jezza 1967 and a lot of us get the importance of not taking the diehard footy fan for granted, I'm not sure the AFL itself actually does. And I'm not doing the Who song. That's your best one ever. Oh, really? Oh, well, it really strikes a chord with me. I am I'm bewildered that the modern cookie-cutter commentator, nameless, formless, similar-voiced creature that he is, they never refer to past plays in their commentary by comparison, by deed, by record, by uh, performance. It's almost as though prehistory, anything further back than even just five or ten years, is verboten. It's the forbidden planet, the forbidden land. You know, what what do they expect to find there? The Empire, the, the Statue of Liberty hub submerged in sand, a world run by apes. It, it's as though that prehistory, for some reason, detracts from the modern game. Or is it just they don't know it and they never bothered to learn it. And as a self-fulfilling prophecy, if they're listening to such commentators or kids now, they won't know it either. Yeah, and if you don't educate them about that, their attachment to the sport becomes very shallow and easily switched off again. And that's Hence where, the big bash. And that's where my deep love of St Kilda came from. Mate, I followed St Kilda through the late 70s and 80s. Yeah. There was nothing on the field that made you love it. Yeah. I collected old football cards and old books and saw you know, little tiny veins of success and celebrated them from years gone by. It's a, it's a travesty and it's a, you know what it is? It is, an, it is a sport run, quite honestly, by uh, decisions made by recently graduated marketing, uh, you know, nabobs who 
end up at the AFL could easily have been at Nestle or at a you know at a giant pharmaceutical company, have no feel for football, but have their degrees that tell them, you know. Uh, c- Connection with anybody under the age of fourteen requires a focus on, you know, a thirty-six month period prior to engagement and go, you know, go f yourselves. Okay, we're both fired up now, Finey. So uh, I've played you into form. Time to deliver three, two, one rant. Rowan, this particular rant is for you because it's a world that you're not familiar with, and I'm going to teach you about. And it's about car cle- car care and car maintenance. Uh, in weeks to come, I may walk you down the aisles of a superstore with products that are made to clean everything from the tip of the exhaust to the underside of the driver's pants. But that's for advanced practitioners, and you're not an advanced practitioner, are you, Rowan? Let's be honest, your previous car had grass growing from it. It did. It really did. Uh, the horrified listener, now reeling in absolute terror, know this, that in an ode to the Big Bang that created our universe, Rowan's neglect of his car was able to cultivate grass growing out of what should be lifeless juco. So this is Car Maintenance 101. Go to the coin-operated, now omnipresent, self-do multi-wash. And I'm going to tell you how to do it. You only need seven minutes. Well, it's a loose interpretation of a minute because they're not actually minutes. Never does it, nowhere does it say a minute. You'd think a minute was 60 seconds, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's interpretative, let's just say, a lot quicker at some than others. But for seven minutes, in inverted commas, you can get a good result and use the fine method because there are a lot of tricks to it. You go around the clockwise view of how to wash your car and there's engine and bug remover, there's a tyre and tyre cleaner, then there's a pre-wash, the pre-soak, a high-pressure soap and water, the famous foaming brush, low-pressure soap and water, high-pressure water, spotless rinse, wax carnauba coating, and on some, a very unusual, sort of like a Glock gun that exudes foam, multicoloured foam. Now, here's how you do it, Rowan. Very simple. Use the engine and tyre bug cleaner remover all over your car. It won't affect the Duco. It's not that powerful. Do that as a pre-soap and hopefully get rid of some of the um, sap and tree formations that seem to grow out of your car. Once that you've done that, then wash the whole lot with the, the high-pressure soapy water and then get to brushing it with the foamy brush. You'll have a sudsy-looking car. Wash the whole lot off, again, with the high-pressure water. Don't use the low-pressure water. They only want you there for longer. And you can finish, if you've got any time left, with the spot-free clear rinse. But you know the key to cleaning a car? The water they use recycled is about as clean as duck pond water. Make sure you've got a couple of chamois with you, and while it's still a bit wet, hand-dry the car, and you'll have a perfectly clean car. The hand-drying does most of the work. And there, for about, at some places, only $4, you'll get a clean car, and maybe, just maybe, Universe 2, created by you, off the back of your dirty vehicles, will not exist. Um, I, you know, it's food for thought. It just, <laughs> do yeah, it, mate. It just sounds like a bit too much work, Finey. I did look. 
Seven I, minutes. I did clean out the interior of the car the other day. Oh, so so now collector items, issues of the age, unopened from 1931 I are available? Of, I got rid of the last unwrapped papers. Are they available for sale, are <laughs> they, somewhere? <laughs> no, but the, a whole lot of empty Coke cans and uh, McDonald's takeaway coffee cups. You, you know, that there's this horrible void space in every car that everybody hates between the two passenger seats where things fall yeah. and you can't reach it? yeah. Have you, did you find some fennigs there? Some, uh, some, some pre-decimal currency? A few old chips. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no, good rant, good rant. I will consider it very briefly. All right, um, that just about uh, takes us out for this week. Uh, quick plug to our magnificent sponsors, Finey. Burgers, burgers, burgers. Just like in real estate, position, position, position. In a burger place, the only thing that really matters are the bloody burgers. You're going there for a burger, so get the best burger in town at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, Andrews. It's an easy name to remember, and I bet London to a brick on you've heard about them before. If you haven't tried the burger there, the one by which others are measured... You're a liability to yourself and others. Position, position, position is real estate. And if you've got the position, you need the builder. And the best builder in the business is Nick Spartels of West Point Property. Located in the inner suburban southeast, South Melbourne Albert Park, uh, in associate suburbs. If you want the best, forget the rest. He's passed the test. It's Nick Spartels, West Point Properties. And auction, auction, auction. You want to buy terrific things at great prices. Jump online with Grays Online, who offer a huge range of consumer and industrial goods direct from manufacturers. And their amazing offer for footyology listeners, Finey, is still going, extended by popular demand to the end of March. Special voucher codes. Enter either ROCO, R-O-C-O, or Finey, F-I-N-E-Y, to claim all sorts of fantastic offers from their incredible catalogue on any purchase of more than $50. Use those codes and you will get $30 off. That's right, $30 off. Huge range of stuff from $2 bottles of wine to $2 million cranes. TVs, homewares, white goods, power tools, and nearly every auction finally starts at just 9 Grays Online, they are a wonderful new sponsor of the Footyology podcast and they have great bargains for you. Just use those voucher codes, ROCO or FINEY, on any purchase of more than $50 and you get $30 off. Thanks, guys. We're going to go. Quick word. Bye. (laughs) That's the first time I've heard you stuck for words. All right, hope you've enjoyed the show. We'll see you back here same time next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.